Well, periodically in life, God gives us special gifts, not just the daily graces that we often take for granted, and it is a special gift to me that I'm able to stand among you this morning and see old friends and new faces and celebrate an amazing, amazing church. You have been blessed, and you are a blessing and I am just ecstatic to be here. My wife sends her love. We are in that stage in life where we have a five-year-old grandson who piles in our bed at six o'clock every morning before I take him to school. And down the street, two blocks, we have an 88-year-old mother that we tend every day. So we're kind of the, 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 the white goo in the middle of an Oreo cookie, and we're working on both ends of the generations. And I keep telling my kids to take notes because they're going to be taking care of me not too long. Um, I'm from Chicago, and when you're, when you're from Chicago, you, you don't have nice words for the plural you. In the South, we have this word y'all. So as I, as I work through Ephesians chapter 2 this morning, I, I want you to understand that every one of the second person pronouns that you read as you, every single one of them is a plural, and they're all about y'all. Not just about Jennifer, not just about uh, each one of you as individuals, but about y'all as a community of faith. Because God has a reason for y'all to be here as a church. He, he doesn't only want to save individuals so you get to go to heaven after you die. He has a reason that you, y'all, have been placed here as a church for the glory of the Lord. And that's really what we want to talk about this morning. Now... I'm always big on introductions that go back to context, and I, I, I can't avoid that, but I, I want to be brief about that. Uh, in recent weeks, you've heard a sermon about the secret, the mystery, the, the God whispering in your ear and telling you what he's really up to in the world. A few months ago, I was in Nepal teaching ministry leaders from India who had to go out of India to be taught because India is becoming increasingly hostile to Christianity. So they met us in a little hostel in Nepal, and we taught for a week about what God is, is, is doing. And these are 28 people. Every one of them said, I follow Jesus. I love Jesus. Jesus. They knew Jesus was a lover of people. They knew that Jesus was a forgiver of sinners. And they loved to follow him. But they had no idea what God was doing in the world. And so I was privileged to go back to Genesis and talk about how God made one world and it was united. It's, it was like a big rubber ball 
And there were two halves to the rubber ball. There was heaven, which is God's dimension, and there's earth, which is the dimension in which he put man. But there was no break between the two. They were, they were together. And when God looked at his world, he said, it is very good. There's shalom. And so God from heaven would come and walk and talk with Adam in the garden, and there was harmony, and then came sin, and the ball was ripped in half. And now there's no harmony. And Adam is separated from God. And Adam fights against God. And God says, I'm going to reunite all things in heaven and on earth. I'm, I'm reading now, not from Genesis, but from Ephesians 1. Here's the, here's the mystery. Here's the secret. Here's the plan for the fullness of time to unite all all things in him, in Christ, things in heaven and things on earth. And here's the other dimension of the secret, the glue that unites heaven and earth and makes creation one and whole and healthy again. The glue that binds it is sacrificial love that leads to death. When you die, when Christ dies, heaven and earth are united. And when you and I live in sacrificial love, we bring people who are far away from God back to him. What a, what a vision for what we're about, huh? What a vision. Now, he comes to y'all in chapter 2, and he says, now, let's talk about y'all. Now, clearly he's talking about individual yous, you know, the yous in the room, but he's talking about y'all. Y'all, no matter what your background is, no matter where you come from, no matter what your track record is, no matter what stuff you got on your record, no matter what guilt you bear, and no matter what shame you carry. You know, I know some of you pretty well. I know some of you a lot less well. But there are people, y'all groups like this all around the world. And one of the ones I'm going to be staying with in May for a couple of weeks is a y'all group in which there are people that used to be members of the government. They're highfalutin Indians. There's going to be a boy who had two legs corrupted by polio and he was a beggar on the streets and periodically people would walk by him and stomp on his legs and break the bones. And they did that without any guilt because their view over there is that karma, you know, that, that cosmic force of getting back at you, karma was paying him back for sins that he committed in a previous life. They had no guilt. And in this, in this y'all group, there's, there's a guy who used to be such an amazingly violent addict that he beat his wife so badly that she poured gasoline on herself and burned herself to death to avoid him. And then he met Jesus. So, you know, you sit in this group and you're looking at this this. this ragtag bunch of people with guilt, with shame, with dishonor, with all 
kinds of garbage in their past and they beam, they just smile because something's happened. Here's what happened. And y'all, right? You used to be dead in your trespasses and sins. Now, what does that mean? We've got in our culture this, this, this goofy fixation on vampires. I mean, really, where, where does this come from? I mean, who thought this up and actually thought you could make money on it? And they do. Hollywood is, is pumping up movies like crazy. Walking Dead, right? What? <laughs> See, I, I don't even know my own warpness. It's zombies, not vampires. Thank you for the correction, John. I'm old. It's just getting worse, right? Y'all, all of you, irrespective of background, y'all were at one time separated from God because sin had a grip on you. For some of you, that grip of sin, that, that zombie-like power had you doing things that you look back on and you just say, oh, I'm so ashamed of myself. For some of you, the grip of sin on your life was, a, was an arrogance, a kind of pridefulness, a thought that you were better than other kind of people, and you now look back on it and you say, oh man, I'm so ashamed of myself. But you all had a back. You all had a backstory. And what God says about the backstory is that the backstory says you were dead. Now, now that doesn't mean you weren't walking around. It doesn't mean you didn't breathe air. It doesn't mean you didn't have a pulse. It means you were dead with respect to God. The, the, the broken world, the, the rubber ball that got ripped in half had not yet been glued so that you had access to the one who now you call father. But back then, he wasn't daddy. He was a scary judge, and you were afraid of what he might say about who you were and what you did, right? You were dead. And here's what dead looks like in the Bible for y'all. You once walked following the course of the world. What, what, what does that mean? Well, that, that means you lived by the standards of the people around you. They lived a certain way. They were arrogant, so you became arrogant like them. They were highfalutin snooty, so you became highfalutin snooty. They used dope, so you used dope. They drank too much, so you drank too much. There was a world culture, and you followed the way of the world around you. He says, that's like following the prince of the power of the air. Now, that's a, that's a kind of a funny phrase. Best way I can describe it is to describe what happens in this community in India. We got this ministry going on, and it's in a, it's in a small compound, much smaller than this parking lot. But in it, we, we have lepers who work to make fabric, and we have former street people. We have a little boy whose parents gouged his eyes out so that he'd make a more effective beggar. And, they, they, and, and every day, they come off the streets. They take buses, or they take taxis, or they walk with their crutches, and they sometimes walk for an hour to get to the place, and they walk through the gate... And their faces break out in a smile and they say, oh, I love the air here. 
Now, the air there is just as polluted as it is just outside the gate. But you know what they mean. They walk in, and there's a different spirit in the place. Now, right down the road, there's an occultish temple. And you walk into that place, even as a Christian, you walk in there, and, and there's a prickly thing that goes on in the back of your neck. And you know this is, this is a place where evil happens. And there's an atmosphere in the place. And you, you don't want to be there. You know what I mean? That's, I think, what he talks about. There was, there was at one time a kingdom that was in the atmosphere of the world, and the devil ran it, and he hated people, and governments were cruel, and there was injustice, and people were cruel, and nobody was happy, and there was no shalom, no peace. It was an ugly world. And you all know about it. And you all once lived that way. You were more like the world than the world was like you. You know what I mean? So you, you, you walked following the ways of the world. And you walked following the prince of the power of the air. And you lived in the passions of the flesh following the desires of the body and the mind. What a thought. How do I decide how to live? Well, I do what I feel like doing. I do what I desire. Really? So if you desire murder, if you desire to act out on your anger, if you desire to have more than other people, you feel free to take. I mean, that's what following the desires of your heart leads to. I mean, people begin to do what they feel like doing, and then they justify it. That's what it's like to live like the world. People's ethics are shaped by their desires, by the feelings, by the gut of the moment. But I remind you what God calls that for y'all. He says, when you live that way, you're, you're dead. You're dead to God. You, you don't even understand the joy and the shalom and the peace and the blessing that he created you to enjoy. But God. You know, I think it's just, I just think it's a stunning truth that the God we serve not, not, leaves us where we are but God makes you to be something different you know so often we Christians have such a narrow view of the Christian faith we think, we think there's a God up there and we're guilty before him and I'm down here and heaven's after I die and before I get there I got to figure out some way to get rid of the problem I'm in and make a deal with God so some people try to, try to do that with, you know, giving money away. And some people try to do that by doing spiritual push-ups and, you know, just going to church X number of times. And, you know, all, all the stuff that we do to try to pacify an angry God. And then somehow, sometimes somebody says, you are now forgiven. And we go, oh, good. I got that eternal question dealt with. Now I can go back to living my life the way I was living it. Well, it's, it's not the Christian life, right? The Christian life is God says, no, 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 no. You were dead. 
I'm going to make you alive. Listen to the language. But God, rich in mercy, he doesn't give you what you deserve. Right? If, he gave you, if he gave us what we deserved, we're toast. God who's rich in mercy because he loved us. That's something we just can't get through our heads. We're always afraid of God's wrath. No, 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 no. God loves us. He loved dead people. Can you imagine that? I, you know, if you close your eyes and think for just a minute, maybe you're not going to do that right here and now, but maybe sometime today you, you'll have a minute to think, what's the most shameful thing I ever did? That thing I did that nobody in church knows about, or a few people do, but not everybody. What, what's the thing I did that I just don't want anybody else to know about? God knows more about it than you do, and he loves you anyway. Can you get that? I mean, that's a stunning truth. God, rich in mercy, who loved us with this amazing love. Now, you know what he does? Now, listen, listen, listen to the language. This is, this is fun. God made us alive together with Christ. How many words is that? Made us alive together with Christ. Six words. In the Greek language, it's all squished together in kind of one word cognate. It's, it's squished together. So, so that when, when, when it says God made us alive, it doesn't say God made you alive. It doesn't say God made you alive. It says God made us alive together with Christ. It's like, it's like God said to his son, you and all your people come here. I'm going to give you life. You and all your people, not, not just you, and then maybe they'll trickle it. No, no, no. God says to Jesus, you and all your people, I'm going to make you alive again. I'm going to make you alive like Adam and Eve were supposed to be alive. I'm going to make you alive because I want the new garden of Eden to start to sprout. I'm going to make you alive together with Christ so that when he died, you died with him. And that sacrificial death was the glue that brought you back to God. When he rose from the grave, you rose to new life with him. When he went to sit on a throne, you ascended the throne. You look at yourself and you say, I don't look like I'm sitting on a throne. Yeah, yeah but you, you, you do to God. When God sits on his throne and he looks to his right hand and he sees his son, he sees his son and all of the son's people with him. And he says, how cool is this? They're running the earth the way Adam and Eve were once supposed to govern the earth. And they're all together with Jesus and they are just where they're supposed to be. God did that for y'all in Christ so that it's this one-time deal when God raised Jesus and when God ascended Jesus, God said to Jesus, you take all those people with you and I will, I will embrace them like I embrace you. And that's who you are now. 
You're not people still separated from God trying to figure out a way to get to heaven someday. You're already there. You just don't see it yet. You have the right to open your mouth and say to the, to, the, to the Lord of heaven and earth, to the king of all creation, you have the right when you start your prayers to start them by saying, Daddy, I love you. You're my Abba Father. That's the Greek for Daddy. You're my Abba Father. You've already taken care of the problem that ripped me apart from you. You've already washed away my guilt. You've already cleansed my shame. You've already begun a new life in me and in the world. You've already taken me to yourself in glory. And one day, my eyes are going to see it. I mean, how cool is that? That's what God's done. That's what God has done. That's not what God might do. That's what God has already done. Every one of those verb tenses is a verb tense in the Greek language that describes an action that has been accomplished already and the consequences are already beginning to show up. Right? God has done that. You know, it's the pits when your Bible requires you to give a thumbprint to be able to read it again. God, rich in mercy, because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we used to be dead in our trespasses, God made us, plural, alive with Christ. By grace, you all have been saved. And God raised us with him and seated us with him. Past tense, he seated us. You're already on the throne, people, seated us with him in the heavenly places so that in the coming age, I love this, in the coming age, he might show you off. It says, so he, he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness toward us. That's, that's, that's God being a show off. Not, not an arrogant, egotistical show off. God wants the world to see what a people who used to be dead, but who God has made alive, he wants the world to see that and say, whoa, what happened to them? He loves to show off his children. You like, you do that too. I do that too. When my kids make me make me happy, when they make my face shine. I, I, I love to introduce people to them and say, this is my son. He, he's, he's a partner. This is my daughter. She's an artist. You should see her work. These are my grandkids. Look at what God's doing. I mean, I get, don't you show off? Sure you do. God, listen to this. God is at work in y'all. And when you leave this place and you go to your respective places of living, places of working, places of singing, places of recreation, God is showing y'all off. He wants people around to say, wow, 
if God can do that, maybe he can work in me. Do you, do you realize that? You are being showed off so that people who see you will give praise to God and come back to the one who turns dead people alive again. You ever want to see what that looks like in a, in a Bible story? You read the last paragraph in Acts chapter 2 where you had all these messed up people who are now becoming a body of believers and they're devoted to the Lord and his word and they're devoted to one another and when they see one, one another sick, they take care of them. And when they see one another poor, well, they take care of the poverty so there's no poor among them anymore. And when there are people who are coming in from the outside, they throw welcoming arms around them and said, come on here. And, and all the people around look at that and they say, whoa. I want in because God is showing off what the new world is beginning to look like when God has glued the rubber ball back together and all things are made right. Now, there's one more thing we have to talk about here. It's not just what you were, what you are, but we got to really reflect for just another minute about why. You're at your second anniversary, and what often happens at anniversaries is that you look back. You know, you have an anniversary with your, with your spouse, and you remember your marriage day, and you have some pictures, and once in a while on anniversaries you get them out and you look at them, and, and the wife is all celebrating, and the man is saying, man, I used to have a flat belly. Where did that go? At least I do. You look back. Listen. This is not your own doing. This is the gift of God, not a result of your efforts. I don't want any of you boasting. This is, this is my work, right? We are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works. That doesn't just mean helping old ladies across the street. That means we're created in Christ Jesus to be the kind of people that he had wanted us to be from the very get-go. He's created us to be the kind of humans who are authentically human the way Adam and Eve were supposed to be before they shook their fist at God and everything came off the rails. Now I want you to get that. Now, the first thing I want you to understand is that word workmanship. It's a word in the, in the ancient language that has to do with, with a craftsman. Imagine a woodworker. He's forming that wood. He, he sands it until it's the right shape, and then he starts polishing it. And maybe he uses wax, and he rubs the wax in it until there's a, a sheen. Maybe he uses... Um, oil and he rubs that oil in with his hand until his hand has blisters but he keeps rubbing it because the heat absorbs that oil deeper and that piece of wood begins to gleam and glisten and it looks it, it, it looks like something made in heaven that's that's artisanship that's craftsmanship I, I, I love to go through art museums and look at people who have taken wood and, and made furniture out of it or taken, 
taken globs of oil and put it on, on stretched canvas and made it so astonishing that it, it jumps off the canvas and it's almost like you can see the eyes on the canvas following you. Do you ever see art that is just breathtaking? Or you even go through downtown and you look at a building that's, that's tall and the way they built it, it's wow. Well, that's what you are. That's what you are. Now, you may say, hey, I'm not a piece of art. I beg to differ. Every one of you has been polished and sanded by, by life, but mostly by God's grace, so that whatever you are is, is beautiful. I, I often reflect on the fact that I'm glad not everybody looks the same, because then life would be really boring. But it's not just the looks that make us different. Some of you are just brilliant when it comes to numbers. You can work with numbers and you can order and organize your life. I'm astonished by that because I don't speak numbers. Some of us work with words. Whether we're preachers or we're teachers or we read to children or we teach children how to read and we teach them that words are an entire universe. Not only are words descriptive but words create things. I'm always struck by a parent who, who finally figures out that when you speak words of encouragement to your children, the words you give them actually do something in the kid. If you say to a young child, and as my wife and I used to do when we were in our van driving around, we had four little kids and they'd pile up, no seatbelts, uh, they pile up next to us in, this, in the area between the driving seat, you know, the driver and the passenger. And, and we would look at, the, at, at this child and we'd say, you are so gifted with your love for the hurting. I think if you walked into a room and there was a puppy over there crying and there was a baby over there crying, you'd have a crisis because you wouldn't know which one to love first. God made you with a heart that is awesome. I bet you're going to become a nurse or a doctor. And she looked at us and she thought about that and she thought about that throughout her childhood. And once in a while she'd come back to us and say, do you really think I could do that? And we said, oh, oh yeah. God has, God's wired you differently than he's wired other people. Well, she's... <laughs> She's now in a ministry that cares for poor people, but she's also an occupational therapist, and she lays her hands on people. <laughs> How cool is that? I didn't make her that way. I just, I gave her the freedom to believe that she could be because that's how God made her. And I got another girl who was the shyest kid in her class. She'd sit in the back and she'd, She'd be so scared of everything and she'd walk in the door after school and she'd go to the kitchen and she'd make herself a cup of tea and then she'd go sit in the living room on the floor and she'd read Victorian literature. And I said to her, I don't know who you are. I, I don't know what you're drinking, but I'm a little worried about it. But as she grew up, we used to say to her, you see things in words that we don't see. And you see things in shapes and colors that we don't see. 
you've got to do something with your gifts, maybe in art, maybe in teaching. Well, <laughs> she's both. She's a teacher and an artist. We didn't make her that way. We just said to her, you're unique. Now, everybody in this room has unique gifts. The Bible's full of instruction about the gifts of the Spirit given to the people of God. Now, the gifts don't belong to you. They belong to y'all. But all of you are different. Some of you got a heart that, that other people just don't get. Some of you have a, a spirit of servanthood that others of us just don't even understand. Some of you are musical. I love to listen to Matt sing and lead worship. He just blows me away with the way he can, he can, he can, he can take a song and shift it to a message. Doesn't it grab you? I can't do that. I can appreciate music, but I can't do that. Some of you, like Alice, you can listen to people's stories and immediately feel the pulse of how their heart hurts. Others of us, we can listen to that story and we just scratch our heads and I don't get that. Jonathan could do that. I, I can't do that. Y'all are a people, each one of whom is God's workmanship. And he puts you together as a community of faith so that when y'all live your life as a community, you are displaying the artistry of God's fingertips in this community for the glory of the one who made you. Now, one of the things I just want to comment on as I'm closing is we often talk about Christian ethics. And so we talk about individual Christian ethics. You shouldn't lie. True. You shouldn't get hung up on, on, on the kind of stuff that's on the internet, the pornography that, that, that not only titillates, but becomes a monster that controls you. That, that's true. And that's true of you and you and you and you. But there's a communal ethic that the Bible talks about that I want you to think about. For y'all... James gets at that. James is a book in the Bible that asks the question, how do you know you're an authentic Christian? James answers the question this way. He says, you know you're an authentic Christian when, as a community, y'all have a different approach to the mouth, the tongue. You don't gossip, y'all. Y'all don't slander, y'all. You all talk to each other, not about each other. You don't undercut each other's reputation, y'all. Right? That's a communal ethic. And when you, when you tend to slide off into the individual sins of gossip and slander, but you're in a community that doesn't like that, pretty soon they call you back to account. They say, hey, wait a minute. We're not going to do it that way. Come on, we're a people who speak the truth in love. We don't talk about each other. That's a communal ethic, and you have to hold each other accountable to that. That's the first mark when a community is displaying the workmanship of God. They have a different mouth. Second marker James identifies is you have a passion to care for the poor, the widow, the orphan. 
You don't have to be told to do that. It's automatic. You see them and you say, wait a minute. These people are hurting. We have an obligation. Not, not I. We. So we become a community that cares for those who have needs. And the third marker, we deal with money differently. We don't hoard it. We're generous with it. We don't view it as private property, mine alone. We view it as communal blessing. Something that I can share with the whole group to make the group flourish. Those are three things that mark us as communities that are on display for the glory of God. And here's where this gets all so neat. You know, when the Lord allows me to come back again, whether that's a year or two years or five years from now, I expect to walk into this place and I really, I really believe that this, that this, this y'all, this community is going to be a community that started out like a little seed and it's already become a little plant and it's already begun to shoot out leaves and it's not going to be long until those leaves are going to bear huge crops of fruit around the whole neighborhood, around the whole city of Jacksonville, in you and through you. Because that's what he's made you for. Oh, may God bless you. You know, that little phrase, may God bless you, you know what that means, right? It's not just may God say nice things about you. The word to bless means when God says it, he makes your life flourish because of his love. In town, God bless you. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word that reminds us that we are not what we were, that we are for a purpose. And the purpose is to be shown off for the glory of the God who made us alive again. I prayed in Jesus' name. Amen.